to the Wine Tech Insiders podcast. Today we have an exciting podcast. We think very, two very interesting topics. Um, 750 joins Pro-V, merges with Pro-V, something happens there. Um, and uh, we zoom into the Star Trek future um, for wine. Um, can we print wine at home? Uh, this could be very scary, interesting. Um, we're going to find out from our insiders. So we have Lori from Outshinery. Hi, everyone. Happy to be here. Nick from Wine Owners. Hello. Seth from Trolley. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. <laughs> and Jonathan from Bottle Books. Good evening from Munich. Okay, first up, um, on This Week in Startups, uh, David Friedberg was on This Week in Startups is a podcast host by uh, Jason Calacanis, um, and there's they're both a part of this big podcast called The All In Podcast, um, and um, uh, they were talking about David's next project or one of the projects he's working on called Canna. Um, Seb? Give us a rundown. What is this about? Uh, well, essentially, uh, the, the backdrop of the project is uh, literally where they started breaking down. They started with wine, actually. Uh, they started breaking down the wine liquid, the product, into its molecular structure. Uh, and they quickly realized that it seems to be very possible to create wine out of water. So water, and then you're adding one percent worth of the molecules which create the taste um, and they started with wine and they slowly uh, realized that every drink really uh, is 95 99 percent water that's being bottled and transported at really high cost when in reality you could have a machine at home much like a a soda stream or a 3d printer you could have a machine at home hooked up to your, your water and then have a few canisters of a few molecular compounds and recreate not only wine, but just about any drinks based on water plus its molecular breakdown. So effectively, they're saying you have water, you have a machine, you have a bunch of predefined recipes you can print or you can generate any drinks that you want at home on demand and at restaurants and everywhere else. Did you, uh, what, what, are you going to get a printer for home? <laughs> I mean, honestly, like it is, you know, it is very curious and it's, you know, like you can have two approaches, right? Like when you look at the more like scientific approach, like it makes like a ton of sense, you know, when you like break it down, but it's also like, oh my goodness, like, you know, like what happens, like the storytelling, like can you buy like special recipes so that the fancy Saint-Emilion that is, you know, like, like who knows, like it's just kind of like very, very strange that way. I'm also personally curious and I didn't hear in all the articles I read about Canna and like what about like the nutritional value uh, not necessarily talking about nutritional value of wine, but they're saying you can print orange juice, like fruit juice and all of that. So this, I wasn't, didn't seem to have a lot of, um, I don't know about that part, like the nutritional value or calorie content for that matter. Like this seems they, like a lot of the articles are mostly talking about the flavor part. Um, and then I was just thinking like, okay, so really like the, the, the sky is a limit in terms of like what you can um, drink and print and like 
what does that mean for alcohol consumption? Like, because you can choose your percentage of alcohol and then you have it unlimited at home. Like, you don't even need to order on your phone your wine delivered at your door. Like, it's just, um, yeah, like, I mean, obviously, like, that's it's a lot of questions. I think just for the, the exercise of it, the fact of changing the, you know, we've been discussing a lot in that podcast about switching to cans like better for the environment and everything and that's really uh one of the strong um value or mission the way to present it at least to the general public right now is how to avoid avoid like waste right like waste in the production of the liquid waste in the transport of that liquid and so on so that's just like um very interesting like interesting and, it, and i thought exactly of like the soda stream just like um said mention if they never mention it uh and the idea of like printing is um i think they need a better name like generate or like <laughs> it's, it's a bit yeah strange uh, but nick <laughs> this is a big um a, a big question i mean should be we be shipping all this water around the world um even if it's not in a printer is there a way to to do that better well, you know, I thought, I thought it was pretty interesting. I hear Rudy Kanarian is out of prison now, and um, I think he might be one of the first guys to buy this machine. And I'd recommend that the producers of the machine, you know, when composing uh, the different um, drinks, you know, include things like um, 1934 Claude La Roche by Laurent Ponceau, although they probably should check first whether it was a vintage in which that wine was actually produced. Um, and I think he may be opening a website for engaging with sommeliers who can provide him with empty bottles of all of the great estates from all of the great vintages as the um, Michelin-starred restaurants get through them so that he can put the liquid into uh, these bottles uh, from his machine, which obviously is great for the environment because it's recycling glass. Um, so overall, I, as you can tell, I was incredibly impressed by the idea. <laughs> I'm curious, so for me as well, like how we commoditize wine, like, you know, like it's just suddenly, like, how do you differentiate like an excellent vintage that can be recreated just as well as, um, you know, yeah. I don't want I mean, to I give mean, a name, yeah. I, <laughs> you I know, mean, like, it, technically it's the same compound, right? And like, you just, you need the same cartridge to print this like a different result and just so does that mean we're all going to be super good at drinking only super good wine <laughs> because why would you not <laughs> right exactly you know like it's just like all like almost like um i don't want to say existential question but like it also it redefines and you know obviously my background is i'm a packaging designer by trade and you know and there are studies that show that a lot of the experience of wine and the appreciation is also like the, the socialness of like the bottle, like how it looks, the story you tell, and you, you kind of really bypass all of that. So, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I go to McDonald's, which I can't remember the last time I did that, but like, you know, when you pop over and you just get your cook, you know, in your glass, like falling down. It's not exciting. Like, you know, like, like it's just like, and if I have my wine, even if it's like the Chateau Cheval Blanc, like, I, I don't know, like, really, maybe the novelty could wear fast. Um, I'm on a consumer experience. Seb, you, I saw you noting. 
And look, look, I think I think it's the it's really the main point here, right? If we're looking at uh, the wine market globally, include beers and spirits and other drinks, right? Um, there's a lot of a lot of products which like you want a coke like the coke is always going to taste exactly the same thing fair enough if i was coke i would be scared shitless right uh, because this machine will effectively be able to recreate a coke exactly like it tastes out of uh, out of a can it will force any markets, any beverage that has a level of subjectivity into it Right, it will force them to lean extensively on their story and their experience uh, when you go and visit, when you talk about it, when you discover that wine. The challenge, if you think about your Cheval Blanc, the challenge is that you sitting at home having an outstandingly good glass of wine with a bunch of your friends is just as valid of an experience as you traveling thousands of miles and visiting a bunch of wineries and kind of taking a few memories out of there. Um, yeah. So I don't I'd, think... I'd be, I'd, be super, I'd be super interested in terms of, you know, how these essential compounds are, if you like, packaged um, through this printer um, and how those compounds may vary as a consequence of age, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, are they the same compounds or do they change their molecular structure over age? Uh, and, and is that something that can be reproduced or not? Yeah. You know, how, how, you know, what are, what are the, what are the differences between alcohol that's poured into a glass, you know, as you might, you know, your methylated spirits um, versus um, alcohol that is a byproduct of, um, Alcoholic fermentation. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look. Ultimately, if you have a recipe, that's basically what they're calling it. If you have a recipe for a bottle of wine that has been broken down into a recipe that's ten years old, or if the, the wine is ten years old and they make a recipe out of it, the 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 aim is to reproduce the same wine at that time at ten years old. Um, I think one of the greatest challenge that they haven't quite figured out, and it's probably going to be a saving grace to a bunch of drinks uh, manufacturers, is the fact that they're basically saying there's about 500 molecular compounds and the machine will not be able to have the 500 of them. Mm -hmm. So while they can make the drink to taste subjectively, taste the same thing, uh, we don't know that the other additional compounds don't have a slightly different experience and mouthfeel and it, it might not be exactly wild taste might be the same. The actual drink might not be exactly the same because they're not going to be able to package those 500 uh, molecular compounds. Jonathan, I think you studied chemical engineering, didn't you? Yeah, I did. So this is this is right up my right up my alley. I mean, I think that if the technology does what it does, what it can or what it says, then I think all of us will have one of these either at our home or have access to one somewhere else. Um, because I think, like you were saying, Sub, there's probably going to be a difference between an 80 ingredient printer and a 500 ingredient printer, and you might be able to get 
even a budget 20 ingredient printer for your home. <laughs> That's going to do 90%. Um, you know, like the little Nespresso machine. But if you yeah, want yeah. to have like a proper espresso, you need a bigger, you know, Italian uh, get up. Um, uh, I think it has a potential to eliminate um, a lot of the frustrating parts about the wine um, wine business. So um, take, for example, WSCT. I think that this would be a godsend to the WCT. If you go to those, if you go to the courses and you're tasting the wine in the first part of the tasting process, it is zero about the story. It's there's nothing about the story. It's actively discouraged to know who made that wine. It's all about your experience of that wine. And one of the most difficult things for the WCT at schools are to get the wines in the samples, in the sizes, on the schedule that they needed. And if they were able to basically design the curriculum and have it prepared, they're not gonna have to worry about the wines going old or whatever, they're there to train your taste buds. And if they can if they can do it, I think that's a very, uh, very fascinating. Or like, you know, think of restaurants or wine bars popping up where it's like on demand, design your own wine. And, you know, how much of the wine is commercial wine? I think that's the part where you have, you have, you know, real potential for something like this because not everybody knows what fine wines taste like, and they're they are happy um, drinking that, and also just playing around because you know if you're a consumer, some of my early stories going to wine events in Germany was that you know you go to a you go to a producer, German producers typically have sixteen wines on their table um, because they need to make the whole palate because that's just the way you you. If you buy wine historically in Germany, you would buy all your wines, the entire range from only one winemaker. And so that's why they have 16 wines. But consumer goes up to the table. The winery asks you what you like to drink. Um, the consumer looks a little bit flustered. And so instead of to, the, the way of getting out of this embarrassing, potentially embarrassing situation is the winemaker says, well, would you just like to taste your way through my wines? Fantastic. 16 wines later, you're plastered after the first table. Um, um, but if you were able to be able to taste our own and sort of say, how do I like higher alcohol wines, lower alcohol wines, fruity or less fruity tannins or whatever, and you could dial this in, you could then go to a wine event and be more educated about where you were, where you were headed. And, and I think there's, so I think there's a, before we even get into like the, like the ramifications of who this could potentially hurt, I think there's a lot of other things outside the environmental aspects of it that if it works and it works well um it could really be an interesting game changer for yeah they, they, they were basically saying that one of the one of the great they're, they're really positioning the business uh as more of a, a recipe marketplace so yeah. they want coke to be able to publish their own recipe they want any winemaker to be able to publish their own recipe and make the product then available worldwide instantly mm -hmm. um so so if that promise does deliver where the drink is is exactly the same thing or 99 as close uh, as a drink it could be an absolute game changer for a lot of small winemakers with a lot of ideas that they want to try a bit more of this a bit more of that once they have a drink that they like the, the wine brands could pop out of everywhere and instantly being distributed worldwide yeah um, i mean think of a think of a winemaker that makes two thousand cases yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you let somebody sample your wine? Yeah. If you can yeah. have one of your wines analyzed and have a close copy, it's not going to be the same thing. 
um, then you suddenly can open a tasting room, which you wouldn't have been able to do before with 2000 um, cases. I mean, it's, it's almost like the going back, you know, almost a decade, the deja vu with 3d printing. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, it, it ended up not being something that all of us have at our home. That's what they also thought at the time, but you do have commercial, lots of commercial uses for 3d printing. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, correct. And look, I think just, just for the benefit of everyone listening, it's probably worth mentioning that Kana uh, suggested that they, they are currently working on the machine and they want to have it. They want to have the first prototype available uh, next year. So not 2022, 2023. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, everything being smooth and, 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 uh, and easy. Uh, so it's quite likely that it's not going to be widely available at least for another year or two, and there's going to be multiple versions. So I don't think it, it's going to change the industry today. No, <laughs> uh, but it's the it's the kind of things coming out of Silicon Valley, uh, or are they even in Silicon Valley? I'm not sure. Um, yeah. That's likely to have a, an overall pretty significant impact on the industry, even if it means that everything which is mass produced, I think, I think the, uh, what do you call them? The, the constellations of the world and the EJ gallows of the world are far more threatened mm-hmm. uh, than the Cheval Blanc and the Saint-Emilion's, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not as much. Um, and then, like, you know, before it also hits a home, like, it's just like, how does it get taxed, right? <laughs> like, you just like, how do you go for... You know, like, and don't get me wrong, this is not like my passion, but we know like one of the main issues as well, especially in North America, is all this like three tier system, right? Like you just can't, and now you just use the same, you know, canister. I'm like, oh, I'm printing oranges this morning and I'm printing my glass of rosé tonight and then I'm printing my port a bit later. Like this won't be able to get the home until, you know, like the, you know, countries figure how to still make money out of this. <laughs> And just like regulation and and then how do you make sure like a five years old or 10 years old doesn't print his own booze and like, like, like you know like like it's just like, like this is not a problem i want to solve but like i would imagine this you know it can't go at any scale until these issues especially after the debacle that was like devices like um jewels and everything right like the wolf vaping vaping issue like no, it's not for the kids. Turns out all the kids are doing it. And like, you can't be naive. Like, oh, no, no, like, this can print anything, but the kids will only print orange juice and milk. I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, you know, like, so there's also like all these things that needs to be solved. But on a conceptual level, um, I think it's just fascinating. Like, I'm genuinely like, like very curious. And I don't think people are necessarily like, you know, that f- like far away from, being against it too right like, like i think it's actually fairly easy to comprehend i don't know like the quality of it but exactly like the nespresso machine like hey you can get this very when it started like very fancy coffee around the world bring it to your home and like push that button and here it goes is it the best coffee of course not but did you deliver better result than what was around yes you know so like it's just like a, a spot like this uh yeah, like uh, just genuinely like science fiction, I, I'm all for it. <laughs> Lots of problems to solve though. And they're hiring a ton. Like I was just looking, just like, I think they're aware of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's the, it's the main point. They're basically coming out of stealth. So they're yeah. now basically saying we exist, this is what we do. And the main point was exactly that. They just want to hire and hire and hire. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very interesting, uh, very interesting uh, topic.
Well, um, there's another company that has been hiring a lot over the last year, um, and uh, they're part of a merger. Um, we don't know the details, all the details of the merger, but it seems, uh, because they're both private companies, but it seems that Pro-V and 750 have come together. Now, we've talked a lot about Pro -V, uh, 750 on this podcast. Um, 750 um, enables the sort of the three-tier supply chain in the U.S. to work. Um, and enables orders to go through. Um, and um, Pro-V, we haven't even touched. We missed the fact that they uh, raised over 100 million uh, last year and they, um, uh, with a valuation of about 750 million. So huge, huge numbers. Um, Pro-V, um, according to Pro-V, is a is the fastest growing B2B e-commerce marketplace for the beverage alcohol industry. And Provi's digital marketplace grants retailers a robust contactless system to place all of their orders 24-7. Um, there is, um, oh, in 2021, Provi announced that 10% of licensed retailers in the US are now utilizing its e-commerce marketplace. Um, Fascinating, um, uh, very US centered, but um, fascinating. And um, uh, Uber took over. Um, um, Drizzly. Drizzly, thank you, uh, <laughs> last year. And um, now this. Um, Jonathan, let's, let's start with you. What what was your first impressions upon hearing this? Yeah, first of all, I didn't I hadn't heard about Provi, but apparently they've been around since 2016. Um, they had tremendous growth during the pandemic when I, I think, um, they must've had just an amazing marketing campaign as, as like the safe way to order beverages that just took off, um, during, during COVID. Um, and I think their press release is very accurate from everything that, um, that, uh, we know about 750 and Provi, they sound like two very complimentary um, businesses. So I think that that has, um, you know, a very interesting play for the U S I think it's, um, um, I'm, I'm wondering what the, what the major distributors are thinking about that right now, because I think that's what we had also kind of understood was that the, there started to been a bit of pushback, um, against 750 the past couple of years, because, the the distributors were seeing that their power that they were, trying to achieve through consolidation was starting to be lost to technology platforms um, like 750. And they started to duplicate 750 in-house. Um, and um, so I think that um, now what they're doing is adding, you know, yet another tier. Um, and that's something that, um, you know, you have some practical limitations of what's legally possible for distributors in the US. So I think this is, can be a very, very smart play um, to to uh, push back, um, have the pendulum push back the other way now in the U.S. And you again. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, Nick. Nick, uh, do you have any insight into this? Uh, had you heard anything about this, or I hadn't heard about Proby. I mean, we have something over here called FMB Shop, which is um, a sort of an old-fashioned equivalent in terms of a marketplace for um, the entree, so restaurants, bars, and um, you know whatever else, small shops to um, uh, source through. 
Um, I think it's really exciting, actually. I think that, you know, it's a reflection of how connectivity is going to bring this industry into the modern era. Um, you know, I, I was I was having a quick look at both websites um, in response to this news, and there was a quote from one of the uh, 750 customers um, which was as follows, in a fragmented and mildly chaotic industry that seems to think it's still 1985, these few organizational tools are golden to us. Uh, you know, I think that there is so much truth in that. I think it is changing so fast as a result of the last couple of years and what we've been through. I think if you look to, to, ahead to something like 2010, it will not be a chaotic business anymore. It will be a really efficient, highly in interconnected business, in my view. Um, yes, clearly there are some particular um, uh, structural uh, issues within the US around three-tier distribution, which clearly these large platforms are aiming to, to or, or in the process of, of, of solving. And I suspect they won't be the only things, they won't be the only two entities that will connect up to one another. I, I mean, you know, the, the, the platform that owns the relationships with importers is going to be the platform that is going to be looking for other ecosystems that it can connect up to in order to broaden its distribution and find its way into different pools of different addressable uh, markets. So I think it's, I think it's, you know, it, it's happening it's happening over here outside of the US. It's happening in respect to the connectivity that is taking place between retailers. We're facilitating that in terms of, you know, systematically putting in place ways of improving behaviors that are already part of the wine business, um, but which are hand cranked and, you know, incredibly um, spotty. So, you know, basically to me, this is one thing and, and principally, uh, you know, a major thing, which is the industry is connecting and it will continue to connect itself up and it will drive enormous efficiency and choice. Mm -hmm. well, and that's that's a, oh, sorry, go. go sorry, and that's the exciting part, right? Like, I think that's what I, I agree with you, um, Nick. Like, it's just, yeah, like it's, you know, like, of course, consolidation means like bigger and bigger companies, but it's also like like streamlining and efficiencies. Like it's just the, the frustration of the industries taken away. Now, the catch, of course, is if this doesn't go well, then the frustration just even ramp ups like further. So hopefully like they will like, you know, like figure it out and then makes it like um, easier that way. What I was fascinated a bit like, all the panelists here is just how Pro-V was under the radar. Like they're not old, uh, check, like they went all the ways to Series C. And, you know, we were amazed, not amazed, but like noticing a couple of months ago when 750 raised around B at like about 30, 34 million. I'm just like playing my memory here. And um, Pro-V just raised 120, I think, in September. So it's just like, whoa, four times. Like, you know, like it's just like, peanuts um you know so it's just kind of like fascinating as even though i like to think like you know all the all the people here like we're following pretty close uh you know what's happening in our world and and yet we can be taken by surprise like this which is 
I don't know, part of me is excited about it. Like what else do we don't know about? <laughs> and look, I think I think there's a lot of communications uh, coming out of the US and, and the US sort of um, startup ecosystem. Um, and, and a lot of times, all of these news, everything we hear is something happening in the US. Uh, and I'm curious to see what businesses are we missing? What opportunities are there in the rest of the world? Yeah. Which really, okay, I understand that the US is one big cohesive, quote, cohesive uh, <laughs> market. Um, but at the same time, most wine in the world is not consumed in the US. Yeah. And so there has to be an enormous number of businesses and opportunities outside of the US that, you know, we've never really spoken about or ne never even seen really. Mm -hmm. But I think what's interesting, I mean, always in the startup world about the US is how aggressive, how much money is raised, you know, the speed at which an American yeah. startup can move is, is uh, doesn't mean they'll be more successful, but um, it is, uh, it is definitely attention grabbing. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, is also this... the, the founder from Provi, just so that uh, we're all aware, the founder from Provi was also working at uh, Drizzly uh, mm. before starting Provi. Uh, so there's obviously an amount of, you know, Silicon Valley style connections there. A lot of people talk to each other, they all know each other. Um, so for totally. sure. Just to the, not that they need defensing or anything, like I was just checking. What is interesting is even though those are all US companies, none of them are actually technically Silicon Valley. Drizzly is Boston, Provi is Chicago, and mm -hmm. 750 is New York. So obviously I'm not saying those are like minor, <laughs> minor little hubs, but they're not Palo Alto. Okay. I mean, Palo Alto, oh, Palo Alto slash Bigger uh, Sorry, like the Cana, like the startup that we talked, like the printer. The, this is Silicon Valley, yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. The the genuinely speaking, we see startups in the U.S. out of the West Coast slash Silicon Valley is a bit more deep tech. Uh, Chicago slash Atlanta are quite big on the broad food and beverages and supply chain as well. Um, and New York East Coast is also very big on the banking and the financial system. So there seems to be sort of a broad, there's exceptions, but broadly, that's how they, uh, they do the investment scene. Is the background of the founders of 750 is banking. Uh, like they come from the banking world. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and look, I think, I think 750 and Proby, it does make sense. Um, from my understanding, I mean, 750 has only been focusing on e-commerce in the last two years, right? Really? Where, where they really expanded from content towards having an e-commerce offering. Um, I don't know how much a Shopify of the world will be able to just come in and go, you know what, guys, we've already got 4 million drinks and beverages producers using our technology here's a data feed for old restaurants right <laughs> um, now if that was to happen shopify is already connected with a number of point of sales for restaurants right uh, so from that perspective how much is the pro v plus 750 alliance or merger how much is that really adding value to the chain Okay, there's a three tiers complexity in the US, but again, the US is only a small fraction of the global food, uh, sorry, beverages uh, industry. That was episode 23 of the Wine Tech Insiders podcast. I'd like to thank our insiders again, 
Laurie from Outshinery, Nick from Wine Owners, Jonathan from Bottle Books, and Seb from Trolley. Thank you, guys. See you later. Thank See you later. Have a good one.